Hello, hello. This is Katavani. Welcome back to another episode of Ramayana. We are in Ayodhya Khanda, episode 27, Truth versus Right. Thank you again for listening. In the last episode, we saw the entire procession from Ayodhya, including horses, elephants and chariots, led by Prince Bharata, arrive in the vicinity of Rama's hut in the Chitrakuta mountains. The four brothers, Rama, Lakshmana, Bharata and Shatugna reunited, grieved over their father's passing and moved on to the next steps of who was to become king of Koshala kingdom and rule from Ayodhya. The queens, gurus and citizens of Ayodhya were delighted to see the four brothers together again. Bharata, an incomparably wise and righteous soul, did not want to go astray from the Ikshwaku tradition where the oldest son inherited the kingdom. Neither did he want to be associated with his mother Kaikeyi's evil schemes done for his sake. He wanted to revoke the decisions that sent Prince Rama, the rightful ruler, to the forest to live as an ascetic in exile. Bharata also did not want the kingdom to be bestowed on him, the younger son. Bharata praised Rama's character and continued with rational arguments for Rama to return to Ayodhya, calling into question Dasaratha's decision. O brother, when I was away from home, my mean-minded mother committed a sin for my sake, which I never wished. My mother deserves severe punishment for her sinful acts. O Rama, you are conversant with righteousness, dharma. Will anyone who know who knows the meaning of righteousness do such a sinful act contrary to dharma and artha to please a woman? There is an ancient saying that at the time of death, the intellect of people is deluded. By conducting himself in this way, King Dasharatha has proved it. Our father has transgressed righteousness due to anger or delusion or recklessness. Therefore, you may think over this matter prudently and set this right. One who sets right the wrongs done by his father is a true son. So, please be a worthy son and let not the sinful act committed by our father and condemned by men of wisdom be approved by you. Where is the forest and where is Kshatriya's duty? Where are matted locks you wear and where is the governance of the kingdom? It does not behoove you to do such acts antithetical to each other. Will any Kshatriya, setting aside his first duty, follow an uncertain course of piety, which is contrary to his Kshatriya Dharma, and whose impact may be felt even in the remote future. O Rama, you are the only one who knows his duty. The knowers of Dharma maintain that the life of a householder is the foremost among the four modes of life. How can you renounce that in favor of asceticism, sannyasa? Let all ministers, subjects and priests, including Vasishta, who are well-versed in Vedic hymns, consecrate you here itself. O best of men, wipe out all the censure on my mother and redeem our revered father from sin. A brief detour here to add background 
on some of these concepts of grihastha, kshatriya, and their dharma that Bharata mentions here. Since ancient times, these concepts of chatur ashrama, four stages of man's life, as well as varnashrama, four classes of society, were prevalent in India. According to Chatur Ashrama, the lifespan of man is divided into four stages, Chatur Ashrama. Each stage is associated with distinct social, ethical and moral duties and responsibilities in pursuit of four goals of human life, Purusharta. The four goals are fulfilling one's dharma duties, acquiring artha prosperity, satisfying kama desires, and attaining moksha, liberation from the cycle of birth. The four ashrama stages of one's life are brahmacharya, student stage, as grihastha, householder life, vanaprastha, retired living in the forest, and sannyasa, life of a renunciate. Briefly, brahmacharya is the time from birth until the age of 25, when one learned about and practiced their dharma duties based on their varnashrama, their class in society. While practicing brahmacharya, one is celibate, self-restrained, disciplined, with all their time and energy devoted to gain the knowledge necessary for their worldly pursuits, namely their dharma and artha. Grihastha, householder, is the stage from age 25 when man is expected to marry, maintain a family, perform his duties with detachment as a karma yogi to support his parents, wife and children. Grihastha, hence, is the most important stage since one is productively contributing to the society based on their karnashrama, be it trade as a Vaishya, performing sacrifices as a Brahmana, protecting and fighting in battles as a Kshatriya or in service as a Shudra, until all their worldly responsibilities and duties as a Grihastha are fulfilled and one is ready for retirement. Vanaprastha translates to retiring to the forest, signifying the period in a man's life when he can retire from the world to sit under the trees in the woodlands, living a life devoid of worldly pursuits, duties and responsibilities. This is a stage when one transitions from worldly interest to spiritual pursuits and acts as an elder advisor sharing knowledge and wisdom. The final stage is sannyasa, renouncing everything including actions and duties on the path to enlightenment and liberation. The Varnashrama, the four classes of the society divided on the basis of jobs, are the basis of the Indian caste system. Based on one's ability and guna's temperament, people were expected to fall under one of the four broad divisions of labor. Brahmins, priests and scholars were expected to acquire knowledge, educate and perform rituals to satisfy the gods and ancestors so their patrons could achieve what they desired in this world and the next. Kshatriyas, warriors, were in charge of protecting, securing and fighting for the welfare of the society. Vaishyas, traders, were responsible for making the goods flow 
and enriching the kingdoms. Shudras, attendants and service people were in charge of serving the needs of the first three classes. Born a prince, Rama had the temperament of a Kshatriya, a warrior, and with duties to protect and maintain order in the kingdom. Bharata's argument was that Rama, as the oldest son of the king, and as a grihastha and a kshatriya, could not renounce his duties and responsibilities for a life in the forest. He offered to take Rama's place instead to keep their father's word. Bharata's words were praised and cheered by the people looking on. Rama was still firm in his resolve not to return to Ayodhya before finishing his exile terms. He explained the terms of their promise. Their father had granted their mother Kaikeyi, who saved Dasharatha's life in a battlefield. Rama entreated Bharata to fulfill their father's debt and promise to the queen and to save their father from hell. O best among kings, Bharata, let your coronation be performed without delay. You are wise and worthy to be king, and at the same time the truthfulness of our father's words will be honored. Become king and release the late king from his debt to your mother and honor our righteous father and your mother's wishes as well. Return to Ayodhya happily with Shatrugna and be the lord of the kingdom while I go to Dandaka forest with Sita and Lakshmana, and I too will be supreme king of the beasts. While the umbrella your attendants carry will protect you, Bharata, from the scorching sun and give you cool shade, I will merrily seek the shade of these woodland trees. Let it be known the four sons will follow the path of truth in their lives. Hearing Rama's words, Jabali, a priest from the royal court addressed Rama, offering arguments against traditional rituals and beliefs and telling Rama to return to Ayodhya to be king without considering the consequences in the next world and the next life. He asked Rama, People offer pinda, food offerings, to the dead. Can the dead eat? If one person can eat and another is satisfied as is done in a Shraddha ceremony, then why don't we do the Shraddha for travelers? Leaving pinda, rice cakes for the dead, is a waste of food. The king has gone where he ought to go. That king is one person and you are another. Man is born alone and will die alone. Therefore, do what I tell you, O Rama, thinking that the next world does not exist, Practice whichever is evident and perceivable now. Turn your back on what is beyond perception. Do not abandon this kingdom or adopt a course which is painful and full of dangers. This is unwise and unworthy of you. Enjoy the inestimable, inestimable royal pleasures in the city of Ayodhya, like Indra in heaven. Rama responded, respectfully to Jabali about truth being the foremost principle. What you have said appears to be beneficial but is actually unwholesome and really detrimental. A man not bound by morality, dharma, engaged in evil deeds is not respected by the virtuous. It is only the character that tells whether a man is highborn or not, brave or only proud, honest or dishonest. If I forsake auspicious ways 
for unrighteousness, abandon pious acts and scriptural practice. If I indulge in acts of wickedness, causing harm and confusion to the world, will any sensible man with a sense of discrimination between right and wrong hold me in any esteem? Truth and non-violence are the perpetual principles of kings. Therefore, a king, the kingdom is based on truth. This world is established firmly in truth. Truth is God. The goddess of wealth always takes refuge in truth. Truth is the root of everything. It is supreme and there is nothing above it. Having sworn before my father that I would live in the forest, how can I disregard my words and my father's words? We have heard that the offerings of a man inclined to untruth, of an unstable and unsteady mind, are not accepted by the gods or by the ancestors. I shall spend the rest of my forest life with faith, holiness, and purity of mind, and with regulated food, with the ancestors and gods, satisfied with my offerings of roots, flowers, and fruits. Seeing Rama unmoved, Sage Vasishta intervened as well. He narrated the entire lineage of the Ikshvakus and reiterated to Rama that following the tradition of the eldest son ascending the throne, it was his duty to be consecrated king. As his Acharya, teacher, he told Rama that following his words would absolve Rama of any sin. By obeying his mother's words to leave the forest and but by being of service to his mother in Ayodhya, Rama would avoid any transgressions of neglect to one's mother. Rama maintained that he would instead uphold his promise to his father. Bharata, on the other hand, vowed again that he would remain in the forest instead of Rama to fulfill their father's promise as well as uphold the tradition of the eldest son inheriting the throne. The audience to these conversations cheered both the brothers. They agreed with Rama about upholding the truth and were pleased by Bharata's detachment and ability to renounce the kingdom and offer it to Rama over and over. They cheered Bharata as wise and worthy to be king. Rama addressed the onlookers, renouncing his claim on throne on the throne. Neither Bharata nor I can in any way annul anything which was sold, pledged or bought by my father during his lifetime. Kaikeyi acted rightly and my father took the right decision. Bharata is an honorable man with immense patience and self-control. Everything will turn out well for this great soul wedded to truth and with respect for elders and traditions. On returning from the forest after fulfilling my exile terms, I shall become the lord of the kingdom along with this virtuous brother. Kaikeyi solicited the king. He granted her wishes, and I will abide by my father, the king's decision. Bharata will rule the kingdom and will make our father's words true. Maharishi Vasishta wished to move past the stalemate. Realizing that Rama would not commit any actions that would break his word or his father's promise to Kaikeyi, the sage Vasishta advised Bharata to request Rama's permission to rule in Rama's name. 
Bharata proposed to Rama that he would accept the administrative responsibilities of a king, but only to rule in Rama's stead. Rama affectionately responded to Bharata, telling him, Consider that I gave you the kingdom and follow our generous father's orders. Bharata tearfully told Rama, You are my father, you are my guru. I will do as you say. Will you give me your sandals? I will use your sandals as your representation and execute the responsibilities of ruling the kingdom on your behalf. O Supreme Warrior, O Rama, while you are in exile, I too shall reside outside the city for 14 years, wearing matted locks, bark garments, eating fruits and roots. I will look forward to your return. O Raghava, best of the Raghu clan, Return to Ayodhya the day after your exile and ascend the throne. Rama gave his sandals to Bharata. Bharata took these in his hands reverentially, held these atop his head as a sign of respect and went around Rama seeking his blessings. In front of all the people gathered there, Bharata placed the sandals high on a carriage mounted on the best of the elephants in his army. Bharata's thoughtful decision and actions were met with unanimous approval and cheers among all who gathered. Rama bid farewell to the people of Ayodhya, his preceptors, gurus and priests, his beloved counsellor Sumatra and adopted brother Guha. He tearfully bid goodbye to Bharata and Shatrugna. He advised Bharata to not be angry with his mother Kaikeyi and to look after her. He trusted Bharata to treat all their mothers as equals. It was terribly difficult for the mothers to leave their beloved sons and Sita behind in the forest, and that too was done. Rama bowed to his mothers, blessed his younger brothers, and tearfully re-entered his hut with Sita by his side. The procession from Ayodhya turned homeward again. Rama's sandals were transported with all the respect due to a king. This procession crossed river Yamuna and arrived at sage Bhardwaja's ashram at Prayagraj, the confluence of rivers Ganga and Yamuna. Sage Bharadwaja was quite curious if Bharata had met Rama and had been successful in his task. Bharata informed Maharishi Bharadwaja how Rama had insisted on completing the terms of his exile. Bharata reported his own plan to rule Ayodhya on Rama's behalf, with Rama's sandals symbolically placed on the throne. The wise sage was immensely moved by Bharata's purity of heart and mind, and praised him generously. O son, best among men, you are blessed with excellent character. It's no wonder all the noble qualities have come to reside in you naturally just as water poured will flow down. The magnanimous Dasharatha is indeed fortunate that you are his son. He is immortal, blessed with a son like you. He lives through you. With sage Bharadwaja's blessings, Bharata and his companions continued onwards to Ayodhya. They crossed over Ganga with the help of Chief Guha's boat fleet. In Shringabherapura, Guha's territory, Bharata, Shatrugna, Shumatra embraced Guha and parted with him. They travelled the remaining distance to Ayodhya, the army and citizens right behind them. 
their mothers, gurus and ministers carried in palanquins, escorted by armed soldiers just ahead of them. Ayodhya still seemed cheerless and bleak to Bharata without his father and Rama. When he arrived in Ayodhya from Kekaya a few weeks ago, he was stunned by the desolation and didn't know the cause. This time around, knowing the reason the city was plunged in misery just deepened his sorrow. The palace and the royal court and the city had no charm for him and only reminded him of what he missed, the company of his beloved father and brothers. He ensured his mothers were comfortably settled in the palace and had their needs well taken care of by their attendants. He arrived at the royal court and informed the advisors and counsellors gathered there about his decision to live in Nandigram, a village in the outskirts of Ayodhya. He announced that Rama alone was the illustrious king of Ayodhya and given Rama's exile from Ayodhya, he too preferred living outside Ayodhya. Bharata promised to carry out his duties faithfully, ruling the kingdom as a trustee of Rama from Nandigram. He promised to work for the prosperity and security of the kingdom and to serve its citizens on behalf of his brother Rama with Rama's sandals symbolically holding space on the throne until Rama's return. The courtiers praised Bharata's devotion and affection for his brother. They wholeheartedly accepted his decision to await Rama's return in Nandigram and approved his resolution to rule as Rama's trustee. In Nandigram, Bharata dressed like an ascetic, wearing rough clothes made of bark, hair matted and knotted up on his head like a sage. He lived a simple life eating fruits and roots and sleeping on the ground. Nandigram soon became the centre of administrative activity. Bharata conducted a symbolic coronation with Rama's sandal, placing them on a throne in Nandigram. He reported all the issues, news and details that related to the kingdom that were brought to him faithfully to the sandals as he would to the king. Any valuable gifts presented to him were offered to the sandals before Bharata accepted it on behalf of the treasury. Bharata began to identify the sandals symbolically as Rama himself and carried a royal parasol above the sandals and waved the chamaras, yak tail fans for the sandals as he conversed with the sandals as if it were Rama himself. When Bharata was invited in his capacity as ruler of the kingdom, he took the sandals with him atop his head. Attendants carried the royal umbrella, yak tail fans and the royal banners. Shatrugna faithfully joined Bharata in this new lifestyle and responsibilities. They were joined in Nandigram by their gurus, counsellors, traders, chiefs and leaders of people and the commanders of the army. The citizens of Ayodhya and towns and villages in Koshala too visited Nandigram as and when they needed. Koshala and Ayodhya prospered once again under Bharata's diligence and careful administration. Bharata carried out his duties looking forward to Rama's return after the 14 years exile. As difficult as it is to imagine this now, loyalty and obedience to older siblings is quite common in the Indian tradition. 
Bharata loved his brother Rama and lived a life of total devotion and surrender to his older brother and gem of the dynasty. Everything Bharata did, all his actions, were done for Rama in his words, his father, mother, brother and guru. Even to this day, storytellers, priests and scholars of Indian epics relish sharing Bharata's inspiring actions and listeners cherish these uplifting stories. Bharata, like Rama, gave up the kingdom without any hesitation. He, like Rama, lived a life devoid of attachment to worldly pursuits, but did not renounce his duties to the kingdom. He ruled Ayodhya, thus fulfilling his father's promise to his mother Kaikeyi. Bharata lived the life of a karma yogi, a man of action, endowed with wisdom and attributes, detailed in later scriptures like the Bhagavad Gita. Bharata performed his duties without any attachment or expectation to the results and rewards, surrendering all his deeds and outcomes to Rama. At the end of Balakanda, the last book, we parted with Maharishi Vishwamitra who regaled us with ancient stories. Here, almost at the end of Ayodhya we will part ways with virtuous Bharata, the main character of this canto. In the next episode, we will join Rama again to conclude this book of Ayodhya Khanda. In the subsequent episodes, we will enter Aranya Khanda, the book of forests, when Rama, Sita and Lakshmana also step into the Dandakaranya forest. Until then, Ram Ram. <laughs>